On the Meg Rock Show, I sat down with Amon Ali. Amon is an intuitive, a Reiki master, an energy healer, an actress. She is just an overall fascinating person. She started her life with going through lots of trauma by the age of seven years old. She no, started to know and realize that she had spiritual gifts, which which also her mother and other family members had. She grew up with these spiritual gifts, went into the marketing world, worked with powerhouses like Russell Simmons, um, had the opportunity to work with Michael Jackson. You will have to hear that part of her story in this episode because she had a premonition that something was off um, and Michael Jackson died within 24 hours. She, The latest thing that she did was she was the, the stand-in for the actress that played Mammy Till in the ABC series Women of the Movement, which is about the life of Mammy Till and Emmett Till. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old Afro-American, African-American boy from Chicago who was visiting Mississippi, who was wrongly accused of flirting with a white woman and who was brutally murdered. And his murder is what started the civil rights movement. You guys are going to love this interview. It's a little bit longer than usual, but it is absolutely fascinating. One of the most fascinating interviews I've done to date. Enjoy. Welcome to the Meg Rock Show with Manifesting Marge, enlightening you with high vibe spiritual guidance, interviews with high vibe people, and those who practice different healing modalities around the world. I help women manifest more love, more self-love, more money, better health, and clarity on their life path. My purpose is to help you remember who the you are. Let's rock this out. Welcome, Iman. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm excited to be here. Yes, you are such an interesting person. And, and I always start with everyone's story because I just turned 40 and I look back over my 40 years of life and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I've been through so many things, but they've all pointed to where I am today. And I really feel like right. at 40, I'm, I'm stepping into my purpose and my calling yes. and I'm figuring out why I'm here. So why don't you share a little bit about your story growing up and how you step into your healing abilities and mm-hmm. why you're where you are today. Yeah. Well, I, I was born in the, what they call the Mississippi Delta, um, was born there to a teenage mom and teenage father. Um, my mom, uh, my family, um, grandfather, grandparents, they were sharecroppers during that time. So of course, share, if anyone knows about the history of, you know, slavery in America, sharecropping was just one step up from slavery. So they still lived on the land, uh, still, you know, up until I can remember being um, in grammar school and high school and going back to the South to visit my family and majority of my family was still chopping cotton, uh, going, you know, into the fields very early in the morning and working all day for $20 a day. So people don't know that that lifestyle still existed. Um, They got paid, but very little. Um, And so my mother was very determined to not have that lifestyle for us. And so she left the South um, when I was two years old. And so we moved into Chicago at that time. There were, um, of course, at 18 years old, you're having a lot of fears. You know, you're going, coming from the rural area of the South and, 
uh, coming to a big city like Chicago. So there was a lot of uh, different traumas that happened to me as a child, happened to my mother, you know, along the way, like by the age of seven, they say if things happen to you by the age of seven, whatever happens to you kind of sets the tone for different things in your life. And so by age seven, there were so many traumas that had happened around, you know, where we would live, um, you know, being robbed three times, once at gunpoint. Uh, but I was always with my mom during those times. So that caused a lot of things that I did not realize was um, traumas that were stored, memories stored in the body, because I just didn't know anything about that. And so things did get better for us. And my mom, you know, climbed her way up and, you know, I didn't went on to, I'm sorry, I have a bell ringing here. Clock. But, You're fine. Um, I like it. <laughs> yeah. But um, did things got better for her and, you know, and for us and moved into middle-class area where my mom, you know, she's, sent me to all girls private school, et cetera. But I always came back to the South for summers, spending the summers with my grandparents. But I saw the disparities between how Blacks lived in the South and how they lived in Chicago. Um, and some of those, you know, things really disturbed me as a child. I was very sensitive uh, as a child. My mom was born with what they call a veil. And people who are born with a veil, that's considered, you know, ESP. So they kind of get hunches, they can, you know, see things. And uh, that's a real thing that's uh, prevalent in my family. And so I was very sensitive to things that I saw um, and wanting to help, like, how do I, you know, help to bridge this gap that I see? Um, and so that was always something that was really um, in my spirit, per se, growing up. And when I got to a certain age, I um, just made a decision like, oh, you know, I, I kind of want to be like in social work. And then I kind of want to be in entertainment, too. But people would say, well, that's not realistic. And then social work, you don't really make that much money. And so I chose to go into broadcasting um, when I got you know, of age to go on to college and uh, became a journalist, um, broadcast journalism and worked in television. I was a TV producer and um, I've worked in print, television, uh, writing and producing television news. Then I went on to do um, documentaries for VH1, et cetera. But then I also um, began doing my meditation at probably right before I got out of uh, college. Um, I had my father passed away of a trauma. And when that happened, it triggered all the traumas that I had when I was little. And when that happened, I ended up in the hospital and I can remember them, you know, trying to give me antidepressants. And I'm like, well, how is so I was like 21 years old and I'm like, how will a pill help me deal with the things that I'm dealing with, which are deep emotional things. And I just knew that that wasn't what I needed. And so I never would take these pills that they gave me. And uh, I started at that point uh, when I came home trying to heal, I just started pulling back the shade 
getting sunlight, the vitamin D3. I didn't realize what was happening, but I knew that as I laid in the sun, I began to feel better. I started listening at the same time to a Native American drumming um, tape that was playing at that time was a cassette tape. And then um, laying in the sun and I was laying in what we now know as Savasana in this yoga pose. But at that time I wasn't aware. So this was like 1995. And my last year in undergrad is when all this happened. And I said, well, should I continue with school or should I stop and just take time off? And somebody was like, well, you should just press through. And I did. And my my last um, classes I needed to take were two electives. And there was a four letter word there that I had never seen. But when I read that what that class was going to do, I said, oh my God, I need that. And that class and that word was yoga. So it was 1995 and I take my first yoga class. And then uh, I saw another class is mystical consciousness, East and West. And that meditation would be, and I didn't know like, oh, this sounds like something I should, should do. So I took those two classes. I started yoga and meditation in 1995. There were no yoga studios and certainly no meditation apps like we have out today. So uh, that's where my journey began, trying to heal some of the things. And my teacher was, my meditation teacher, he was from Japan. And he also was a therapist. And so I went to see him once a week just to start looking at how do I heal from these traumas? So he started teaching me how to visualize and locate in my body where the pain is um, and then also work to move that out. And so that's how it got started. And I began my wellness journey from that point. So I kept going, kept going all kinds of um, meditation practices from, you know, Deepak Chopra, from Iyala Van Sant, all these self-help books and things. I was on that journey for, you know, self-improvement, self-growth. Um, and it kind of led me into, you know, and I did happen to, I didn't know 10 years later, I did not know that meditation would help me to also become more intuitive. I wasn't aware of that. So in, 19, in 2000, I guess 10 years later, 19, yeah, two, about two, yeah, it was about 10 years later, I had an experience um, and maybe a little bit before that, when I was producing news at uh, CLTV in Chicago, I read an article that came over the AP wire and it said something about, uh, there was an influential meeting that happened and the person who organized the meeting his name came up and when it came up my spirit said oh you're going to work with him and I'm like you no, said you're supposed to work with him you're supposed to help him I'm like well who is he and the name was Russell Simmons didn't know who Russell Simmons was at that time but the godfather of hip-hop and the founder of all that really pushed hip-hop culture into the mainstream so every career from LL Cool J to Run DMC to the Beastie Boys uh, to, you know, Jay-Z, every So I said, oh my God. So I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with him? So it was so loud that I actually began, you know, I quit my job and I said, I'm going to work for Russell Simmons. And I didn't know him or anything. And there was two people who knew him and they said, I said, can you introduce me? And they were like, well, I don't know. He's kind of funny about that with their personal relationships. 
And I started meditating every day. I said, I know I'm going to get to him. I'm going to meditate every single day for 15, 20 minutes. And I just would meditate about him and about me working with him for more information. More information did come that he was spiritual, that we had a spiritual connection, all of these things, and that we were going to be partners, not me working for him. And sure enough, three months later, I meet him. Looks like by chance because of all of the meditation and the laws of attraction working at that point. And it began from there. And from there, a single person that I have, you know, worked with in the entertainment industry has come to me from, you know, an intuitive uh, message, a, um, yeah, an intuitive message that I get about prior to me working with them. So everybody from Russell to Kanye to Snoop, to uh, Michael Jackson even. And the Michael Jackson situation has really opened my gifts up even more. Um, and so that kind of began my journey, how I got into entertainment and into the healing space as well. So beautiful. Okay, so one of the questions that comes up for me, because I always, I'm sure you were raised in the church some, some you know, in some form or fashion, being an African woman, African-American woman from the South. And I always mm-hmm. like to ask people that are spiritual and in, intuitive and mm-hmm. you have these gifts running in your family. Did your family yeah. just embrace, you know, what I call the woo um, from a, from a, from a Christian standpoint, or did, did they see it as something that was a little bit different? Oh, well, absolutely. I think, um, you know, with my mom, having the experiences she was actually seeing entities in the house when she was uh, a teenager and was a child so she had that ability very early and they you know in the south and just in general a lot of our spiritual gifts our spiritual practices we practiced during slavery so most of everyone that came uh was stripped of your language your names, your original names, we were given the names, English names or the names of the slave masters that owned those particular families, you took on their name. So we're not speaking our original tongue or are practicing any of the spiritual practices. And so some of the stuff was just like scary for them. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. like, well, what is that? And so my mom would be terrified as a child of night came. And we talked about this just very recently as I, you know, kind of opened up to her for the first time about some of the things that have, that I've been, um, you know, able to do uh, and developing in my own gift. And um, she just said that she hated it was night and she couldn't be free during the daytime because she would be afraid about, you know, she knew night was coming. And so they would just try to pray it away or something like that with using the Bible or Bible verses and even kind of using some of the, um, there's some places in the Bible where, you know, dreams were interpreted or, you know, mediumship was, mediums were banned in a certain time frame. And so they kind of use that. And um, so, but what happened was that my mom, we found out later that there were people who passed away in that house. There were human remains that was in the attic over the room. She's not the only one who had experiences in that room. We were at Thanksgiving. 
uh, our Thanksgiving uh, table a couple of years ago, and we started talking about that. And my other aunt said that there was a woman who would come and see her as well. And the woman would tell her, you got to get out of here. They're coming to kill you. And then she could, she could hear this woman. And then my grandmother said that, well, there was, there was uh, a little boy who drowned in the house as well. Uh, so there were several things that took place in that house and around that little room there that um, now we know that, okay, well, she was picking up on the, the energy that was still in the home uh, mm -hmm. of those, those deaths at that time. So this was something that was like taboo and you don't really talk about that or you talk about it, but I was just fearful hearing it growing up. So when my abilities turned on, they were on when I was little, but I would pray not to see or not to have the ability that my mom would have because I was really afraid but I would always sense and feel and when my abilities really really kicked in where I just could not um, deny it anymore was uh, on the eve of Michael Jackson's death and me knowing or having this intuition all the time that when I was growing up, oh, one day I'm going to work for, work with Michael Jackson. It just was a voice that would say that. And I never would utter that to anyone because people would be like, all right, you're crazy. You're not going to work with Michael Jackson. And so I just would always, there was a knowing. And one month before his death, I did get a call. And that call was from a friend of mine who was friends with some of Michael's security. And he said, uh, Michael wants to have a marketing campaign for the This Is It tour. And do you want to work on this with me? And he was an art director. And I'd worked with him before on different campaigns. And I said, oh, my God. So he knew I created these social cause initiative. I'm like, well, we got to help position Michael's brand because they've they've sort of destroyed his brand especially when it comes to you know his humanitarian work and if he's making a comeback I think that we need to you know deal with it from that so I said I'm going to meditate because there's a lot of causes that Michael was you know passionate about but I'll meditate and uh in the morning I'll know what what we should do. And so I did, I was living in New York at the time. And that morning it came up that it was the earth and global warming and that that was what he's most passionate about. And that's what we should do. So I found the earth song and I created this little campaign around it about global warming uh, for Michael for um, the This Is It tour. And so my friend puts all the graphics to it. We don't hear anything for a number of weeks. So this is in May and then June comes. And I ask a question toward the beginning of June. I say, hey, what's happening with the Michael Jackson project? And he says, um, well, let me find out. And they say, well, he's got some new management or something. So um, we didn't hear anything again until the Sunday before Michael died. And when we got the message, there was an individual who had worked with me before on some other issues. And there was a convert, there was some type of discrepancy with them taking the material that we had put together and either presented it as their own or not wanting me to work with it. And so there was this big little argument about it. And then my friend goes, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a meeting about this on. Wednesday. 
And he said, I want you to be on the call, but just don't say now, I want you to hear this. So when I was listening to them on the call was all of the immediate members of Michael Jackson's team. And um, I'm listening and there was an attempt not to allow me to work with him. And I get physically sick, like on the, my stomach starts boiling. It's just, and one sense it was like, I was angry. I thought it was just me being angry about it, but I couldn't shake it even afterwards. And I'm like, something is wrong here. And I can't put my finger on what, what that is. And I said, something is so wrong. I would, I walked around in New York that night. And then I told my friend, I, said, I don't think I'm going to be able to go through with this. There's something not right. And he goes, oh, you're just being emotional. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. You'll be able to still work with it. You know, just sleep on it. I slept on it. I said, well, in the morning, my spirit is going to tell me what to do. I woke up that morning and it was I, all through the night. It was just horrible. Like I just kept feeling something was so wrong. And that morning I woke up and it was like a big no. I asked a question and it said N-O in big letters. And I called them and I said, I'm not going through with the Michael Jackson uh, situation because something's wrong inside of his camp. And I said, I don't know. It's just an energy that I feel and it's something serious. He goes, you're going to turn down the opportunity of a lifetime to work with Michael Jackson because you feel an energy like you're crazy. I said, well, you could say that, but I have a gift and I really do have to pay attention when the spirit speaks to me like that. And I said, Michael Jackson needs me now more than I need him. And I don't know what made me say that. But um, later on that day, I, three o'clock, it's about 3.30 or so, I called another friend of Michael Jackson's who was a childhood friend and he was his, actually their publicist and he's like a brother to them, Steve Manning. And I said, Steve, um, do you know Michael Jackson's situation now? I said, something's weird going on. There's another manager in there now. And I said, there was a weird conversation that day. I said, so are you going to sit opening? Her? I said, but if there was something that I had for Michael, would you be able to introduce me? He said, oh, sure, no problem. I said, okay. I said, well, I'm not sure, but I'll just reach back to you. As I hang up for him, three minutes later, someone calls me in New York and they said, did you hear something about Michael Jackson? I said, no. And I looked on the, online. I said, well, you know, people make up stories all the time. There's nothing online about that. And uh, I just kind of went on. And then five minutes later, after that, I got another call. And the other call was from a friend of mine who worked. And he said that a very high ranking official at CBS said Michael was dead. Now, this was between 3.30 and 3.40. And that's New York time. L.A. time, that's 12.30 and 12.40. That was the time when the ambulance was called to Michael's home. So I'm getting the information coming through. So I called Steve Manning back and I said, you probably need to call Mother Catherine, Michael's mom, call to the house and check on Michael because I'm getting, I got two reports back to back. He said, oh my goodness, he called. And then we tried to reach the security guard. He was the one who did the 911 call. That was our friend who, you know, got the proposal through and he couldn't reach him. My friend couldn't reach him. And I said, oh, my God. So it was some time 
maybe a few hours before the press conference where Jermaine Jackson um, announced to the world that the King of Pop was dead. Now, the friend that I talked to earlier, <laughs> he called me back and was crying and in tears and apologizing. We all were so shocked. And he said, I'm so sorry that I called you crazy earlier this morning. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was in shock myself that I was picking up on that, but I could not interpret what was happening. So it was that incident that caused me to go back to Chicago. There's a center that is for the gifted in these abilities and they train in energy work and they train in with the chakras and clairvoyance and you know women's intuition all that so I went there um right after that and I said I got to get out of New York and I have to I can't run from this anymore and sure enough I went and got a, a what we call a reading and um Michael came through and he immediately said that he was murdered and that he didn't do that to himself. And uh, he wanted the children not to, to know that he did not do that to himself and that there were, uh, there were people who were behind that. And so I'm like, well, why me? Because he's constantly, <laughs> he said, well, she said, you're way sure and um, you're around the right people to say something about. So things started happening from that point, different dreams, and then different members of Michael Jackson's family started showing up one by one, like, like, in, not, like in, in spirit or they were coming to you? Like, no, physically. physically. Yeah. Okay. So I, I first meet um, his father um, uh, at the memorial in uh, Gary, Indiana. And uh, then a month later, it was Jermaine, no, not Jermaine, um, Tito and uh, Marlon Jackson. And I ended up being on the Jackson's reality show in September of that same year. Um, and it just kept going from there. Just different things would come through. So that made me start training. I said, I need to get some kind of grasp on what my abilities are and I need to know how to protect myself and I need to know how to use this so that it doesn't overtake me, right? Because that was a big, it's a big deal, you know, um, King of Pop's death. And uh, what do you do with the information, you know, that comes through? And so that's how it started. So I did start training uh, at that school and I trained year uh, in 12 months, clairvoyance loves you. And reading happened to be at Macy's for Anna Wintour's fashion out. And uh, that was uh, Macy's hiring us for uh, to read the fashion of their clients for the night. So that's how that got started. But I didn't realize that the intuitive process was and what I was doing was connected to the healing. Um, I just thought of it in realm until I moved to Atlanta. And there is a chiropractor there uh, who has a wellness center in the Chambly area. And she said she was looking for someone who can read the energy of her clients. 
chiropractic clients. And I'm like, what a medical do- doctor wants a, someone like, and yeah. And she's like, well, I'm very familiar with all of this. Father is a, you know, he's a channel medium. And I with this, she said, but everything at a physical level has a energetic level before it becomes physical. And so most of the times when people have pain and issues, it's connected to something emotional or so if we can begin to look at and we can work together. And that's how that works. So I was in a medical exam room and I'm like, this is so strange. But sure enough, seeing the organs connected to the chakras and I could see if somebody's having, there's one woman that had an issue with her third chakra and uh, it was connected to her mom not wanting to be pregnant with her. She could not, and I told her it's it's messed, it's messing with you being able to digest your food. And the woman started crying and, you know, this, this relationship with her mom was so, so messed up and that she's on so much medication for digestion. She said, you're so right. So I started seeing things that was happening in people's body. I didn't know it was integrative, like integrative medicine. There was such thing as a medical intuitive. Uh, I didn't know anything about Edgar Casey or any of these things. And I found out as a result. And then when I got, I, I learned about Reiki and I went back to Chicago and Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine Osher Center for Integrative Medicine. This is like a really elite um, uh, medical center that incorporates all of the practices. So there's MDs, there's massage therapists who do Reiki, and there's also, you know, chiropractors, and they all work under one roof. And I ended up beating out medical students for a position as research assistant at the Feinberg School of Medicine to study the impact of Reiki and meditation and yoga on oncology patients. Um, And we needed to look at how they were responding when they go to regular chemotherapy, but they also get to come over to the OSHA Center and get some of these services. So I just, I could not believe that I had manifested that because it was so much validation for just meditating and validation for Reiki, uh, doing that at a very prestigious place. My son, who is a pre-med, who's actually just on his way to do his MCAT, um, he just was like, mom, how in the world did you get into, you know, Northwestern? There's like, you just don't get into Northwestern. And uh, so I'm like, you see all that meditation that I've done? It does work. So that's how that started, where I really began. I saw that I was being credentialed in the field where what I do is respected. And I began to see how we're merging science and mysticism, finally merging, like mind and body finally merging. And so I like when I talk with anyone, I can talk with them on a medical level, I can talk with them on a science level, I can talk to them from the spirit realm and make it all make sense because I had no idea that we're dealing with lower brain waves when you can have visions and you can have intuition. That's your alpha brain and your theta brain wave state. So the lower the brain waves, you get to really experience some things. 
And so thank God for Dr. Joe Dispenza and all of these great, great people like that who are helping to break it down for the masses because we just haven't been taught and taught properly, even about our own bodies and how our body and our mind works together. We just haven't had a clue. So that's we have, my we have not had a clue. Oh my gosh. No. That is, that is so amazing. Like we, we could be here. We could be here for days. I can't make, yeah. can't wait to, to meet you in person. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I can't get enough of it. So I can't wait yeah. to meet you in person. Cause I'm sure yeah. we won't come up for air. Um, cool. I wanted to say that, uh, Russell Simmons is amazing. I remember yeah. watching one of his TV shows. Um, maybe it was when he was married to Kimora. Uh -huh. And they had that humongous house in New, I guess it was New Jersey. Did they live in uh -huh. New Jersey? I think that was his brother's show. Okay. It was, uh, it was Run's house. It was that's Run's what, house. okay. Yeah. That's what it was. That but was, I remember, but I remember seeing how, um, how spiritual yeah. he is. And yeah. that was just, cause I've always been drawn to, you know, to this, to just to not religion, but spirituality. So sure. what did you do for Russell Simmons? Yeah, so with Russell Simmons, um, I ended up being um, a consultant for his Hip Hop Summit Action Network. So I brought the first national title sponsor to the Hip Hop Summit. And that was a coalition of artists and um, musicians and uh, record label executives who were committed to using hip hop as a catalyst for social change. Mm -hmm. And so what we did, we said that if hip hop could sell, you know, Covassier, if it could sell Cristal, if it could sell cars and shoes, well, we could affect the political landscape of America. We could get young people to vote. And that's how I got started. So what I did was uh, I began to connect the social cause of the summit to corporate social responsibility. So I brought on sponsors to help us do that. I was the first to introduce Barack Obama to the hip hop community in Chicago at that first summit that I organized for Russell. And then I went on to bring about $3.5 million to launch uh, the financial literacy tour called Get Your Money Right uh, with Russell and the hip hop summit. So that's what, I, that's what I did with him. Super cool. Okay, so Michael Jackson, I have always loved Michael Jackson. And when he yeah. went through, when he went through everything that he went through, you know, I don't think that this is just my, my knowing, I don't believe that he was, that he was being inappropriate. I feel like yeah. he was just a child, like in a childlike yeah, exactly. state. And exactly. he just wanted, um, he wanted basically, in my opinion, to, to live out a childhood that he never really got to experience. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why he created Neverland, you know, mm -hmm. because you just don't know the pressure that you have constantly having to uh, perform at an early age. He, they couldn't go outside. And number one, they also were Jehovah's Witnesses. So his mom was of the Jehovah's Witness faith. So that's a very strict uh, religion, okay? And so you don't, you don't, you don't celebrate birthdays, you don't do Christmas, those type of things. So you know, you can imagine, and you see the playfulness in Michael. He really kind of wanted to do what the other kids were doing, and he would talk about that by not being able to go outside when the other kids were outside running and playing, and when they were not practicing 
they had to go with their mother door to door to promote the religion, right? Wow. So you can imagine that, you know. So, of course, you get an ch- opportunity still being a child at heart. He wanted to try to relive aspects of his life, his childhood. And, and that's that's what he that's what it was all about. And so he's just so innocent with that. And uh, that a lot of that had to do with Michael was also a very smart businessman. Mm-hmm. And I want to say this because at the end of the day, that's why he was killed. Um, he owned 61% of Sony music before when he left Sony. Okay, that's never been heard of before. And especially for a black man, most of black artists in uh, throughout entertainment, because I've worked in entertainment industry, uh, starting with Russell for almost a decade, more than a decade. Yeah. And um, you just saw how many of them died broke, they died, you know, without their publishing. So Paul McCartney taught Michael about owning publishing and he hit Michael to the game. I don't think he thought that Michael would buy his publishing and the Beatles and their whole catalog and so many other artists. That probably was not what Paul McCartney had in mind, but um, he owned this huge catalog. And even when the night, three nights after he, about four nights after he had died, and I had that experience and the reading that night, he showed me in a dream. Uh, he was taking, he was flying around. He loved Peter Pan. So we were flying and we were up on this big top of this mountain. And there was these huge monopoly pieces on the top of the peak of this mountain. And I'm like, what? And I wake up out of my sleep and I'm crying. I'm like, I don't understand. And I say that and I can hear myself saying that as I wake up, I don't understand. So I didn't understand what he was showing me, but what he was showing me was that his murder was over his monopoly is a game of real estate. It's an, it's about estate. He was saying he was, he was killed over the estate and over his property. And that the reason they were so gigantic, because what he owned was really gigantic. Okay. The Beatles catalog and Sony's music publishing you know, and uh, he was, it was at the top of the mountain peak because it was a game at the highest level. And so that's what that whole dream was about. But yeah, that's Michael Jackson. So what so was what your do question? You, yeah, so what do you think? What, so what was them, them killing him? What was there for them to gain? Because wouldn't his family now have access to that 61%? No. And if you Google it, you'll see that Sony Music got back. They sued Michael Jackson's pub estate and they got, and Paul McCartney got his stuff back. He got his publishing back and Sony Music got what, whatever percentage they wanted back. Wow. So without sharing it here, did he share with you who killed him? Did he give you like names or companies or do you have an idea? Uh, I don't want to say right now. Yeah, uh, I don't think I can say right now. But time is here now because on the new project, uh, we're seeing a lot of things be revealed. Okay, mm-hmm. um, the new project that I just left off of is the uh, Emmett Till. Um, the story it's called Women of the Movement. 
the Emmett Till and Mamie Till story. And this is so another one of those situations where I met Mamie Till personally two years before she died when I was producing news in Chicago. And um, when I met her, it was just to set up a, an interview. It was Black History Month. And they were like, oh, let's do this story on Emmett Till. So I called. I didn't think I would even get her on the phone, but I did. And I ended up talking to her for almost two hours. And um, she had so much to share. And of course, I'm originally from the area where Emmett was killed. And I just, Money, Mississippi, uh, Sumner, Mississippi. Money, Mississippi is where the uh, Bryant's grocery store was or drugstore, whatever it was. But anyway, that's where the quote unquote incident happened. And then in Sumner, in that area. So anyhow, um, I talked with her and I never get to go to see her, but it was like she was giving me something through that conversation as we were talking about, you know, going into the Delta of Mississippi. Of course, I went from Chicago to the Delta all the time. So I knew very well Emmett going down to Mississippi to stay with some relatives for the summer. That was our life. So um, years later, I meet her niece in Atlanta and uh, she's over the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation. So I'm like, wow, I'm so honored to meet a family member. I become a member of her fa uh, of the Legacy Foundation as an ambassador. And then I get a, a, a acting gig on the Chadwick Bozeman um, get on up the James Brown biopic that was shot in Mississippi and I get casted as a background actress in there one of the dancers it was a dancing scene or something and um, I meet another one of Emmett Till's family members on set and so we get together months later they don't know each other I introduce them on Emmett's birthday and our irony is his birthday is coming up in a couple of days. So this is, this was 2014, I believe it was. And so um, we all meet together and I, I said, wait a minute, we are the sisters of the movement. And there needs to be a TV show around the work that we're doing, you know, instead of, you know, all this, you know, housewives and all this, they need to follow around women who are, you know, making a difference in these communities. And especially the work that's being done, you know, still justice for Emmett. He never got justice. No one served justice or time for his death. And um, we started a podcast and we did a pitch to BET at the time. And then it kind of got, the Me Too movement got started and Black Lives Matter. And I was just kind of like, well, maybe it's not the time for this yet. But that same year, I had seven dreams of uh, with Jay-Z in it. Now, remember I said, every time that I work with an artist, I always have this spiritual experience. So I'm having seven dreams. It's the exact same dream, though. But we're dressed differently. Sometimes Beyonce is there. We're always backstage. So we meet in between these doorways. So I guess the doorway is kind of like a portal. So it was like me coming backstage or something. And I bump into them, I bump into him. And every time he says, so what you wanna do? So what do you wanna do? 
And I've always in my, in the, all the artists I've worked with, I had not worked with him. Um, and I had not physically met him except for just on stage once, um, but not like really. And um, I said, I don't know what, when this is gonna happen or what's gonna happen, but I, it kind of always stayed with me. And um, I've had a reading before. She said, do you work with Jay-Z? And I said, no. She said, well, you need to work that because you guys are similar. You're like a female Jay-Z. I said, oh, okay, well, I do admire him a lot. And I, I do see where there's some similarities. So lo and behold, that was 2014. So this past December, I hadn't even talked to Emmett's cousin. No, I talked to Emmett's cousin uh, last summer in June, July. And I said, we really need to get Jay-Z and Beyonce involved with the campaign and for the 65th anniversary of Emmett's death, like I think th them being involved will help push the initiative out in the mainstream. And I sent her and I said, let me reach out. I have a friend that's on Rock Nation. Maybe I could, you know, uh, see if somebody could talk or we can get an audience. And I, I wasn't able successful to get through like that. So I kind of dropped it. To me, it's not time. December comes and another, the other cousin of Emmett sends me a text message and she said, you won't believe this, but they're filming a, they're casting for a new TV series. It's called Women of the, oh, it is called Women of the Movement. And she's like, what don't you, of course I remember we had Sisters of the Movement and I said that to you all. And she goes, oh my God. And it's being shot in Mississippi. And it's about Emmett Till. And on top of that, Jay-Z's producing it. Hello. <laughs> Is that nuts? <laughs> yes. I was like, what? Oh, my God. So I said, oh, my God. I said, well, like, this is it now. Okay. So I go, shut up. So it's Jay-Z and Will Smith producing Women of the Movement. And I said, get out. So it took me two days to, to respond. I just wanted to be a part of it any kind of way. And it was down the street. Like, of course, I said, all this happened in the area that I'm originally from. So my mom, we have a home next door to my grandparents, which is about 30 minutes from where they're going to be shooting. So I'm like, okay, I can totally go. And even if I'm just a background actress, I can, I'll just do it because I want to be a part of this. I want to see where this goes. This is a huge deal. And so I sent some photos over and I get a message back in two minutes. And they go, I want to do an interview with you. Can I do an interview with you? They asked me a bunch of questions. I said, yeah, I work for the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation as well. I'm an ambassador. And this story is so close to me. I really want to be a part of it in any way. And uh, she says, yeah, but I'd like to do an interview, which, which was different because normally if you're going to be a background actress or anything like that, they just see your pictures and they're like, okay, we can use you, whatever. Blah, blah. So when I get on the phone with her, she says that she wants me to be, get this, work in a production, it's a production role, but it's the stand-in position and double for the lead actress who's playing Mamie Till. Get out. So now it's like, what? 
And so I get chills all over me like, okay. And at first I said, let me think about it. And then I thought, said, wait a minute, what am I saying? Yes, absolutely. I want to do it. She said, it's one of the most important positions on set because you are literally like standing in, you go back and forth, you and the lead actress, and you are helping to get the shots set up for her, um, lighting, uh, sound, you may have to do her lines at some point. If she's not on set, you're there and you guys go back and forth like that huge so she's like it's a huge deal so I'm like oh my god yes so I got the role of uh stand-in for Mamie Till of Emmett Till's mom and worked alongside Adrian Warren who's um the lead actress she won a Tony for uh Tina Turner last I think it was last year or something like that but anyway so that was a whole experience I'm telling you I, I, I mean especially for me. And I said, okay, I know this is a spiritual thing. This is not just about me being in an acting role or anything like that. This is with me being, and I'm also a medium and I'm going to get some, some information here. And so, and a healer. So it's for me to help to heal the land and heal Emmett and heal his mom, because in the spirit realm, there's no time or space. Okay. And so, especially with Reiki, you know, being able to send Reiki past to people who have passed on, et cetera. Whew, it was a whole ordeal. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out what I do with that. Do I write that, put that in a book? It was a big deal. And that probably would have to be a different show because there's so much going on. They, um, the show is, it's a series. So it's expected to air on ABC. It's going to be prime time, which is a big deal. Uh, this is the first time his story is being told, really, because for it to have primetime um, exposure like that on ABC, it's a huge deal. So we're 66 years in August, August, um, this coming August 28th, um, since his death. And um, 66 years later. Uh, this is happening. So um, justice still hasn't been served for him. So there's things that we we want. We want to get an anti-lynching bill passed, the Emmett Lewis Till anti-lynching bill. Um, so yeah, um, there's a lot there. So it's still still kind of work in progress of what we're doing uh, for him. But I did get um, the Emmett Lewis Till. Foundation, the Matil Foundation, Legacy Foundation, uh, connected with the writer and the creator of Women of the Movement, which now has gotten us in with ABC. And so the lead actress, she's creating a whole, created a whole video for his birthday, which is going to be coming up on um, on Sunday. And then the uh, actor who played Emmett, Cedric Joe, he is also, you can catch him in the new Space Jam movie with LeBron James, and you'll get to see him. He was a great Emmett. I mean, just really beautiful soul. So it's a lot, you know, especially when you think about just everything that's going on. So there's so many messages that came through on set from, from Emmett to um, his mom. But the irony was that when we shot his funeral 
which was a big deal because she made the decision that the world was going to see what was done to her son. So to have an open casket and everything. So that funeral was really like sort of the turning point. And it was the, it was the thing that made Rosa Parks not get up out of her seat. She said that she thought about moving, but when she thought about what happened to Emmett, she stayed. So it was Emmett Till's murder that, sparked the civil rights movement and his mother's courage. So um, at we're shooting the scene and the scene is in the Mamie getting out of the car. So I'm, I always set up before the lead actress. So I'm there and I'm getting out of the car. We're doing it, going through it. We finish and they say, go inside of the uh, sanctuary and just sit there and wait wait and everybody's still outside I go in there nobody's in there except the casket so they recreated the body they had like a little blanket over it over the glass part um and I just lost it when I was there in there by myself with that and uh, I tried to reground and um I I had to someone talked to me it's like well you know why you're there you're there you know for the the ancestors you're there for the healing so I said okay I'm supposed to be doing the work in here while I'm in here waiting so I I had my crystals I had my selenite I took (laughs) the selenite wand out and I started running Reiki throughout running Reiki even over that casket and over uh, what was representative of Emmett Um, and as I was doing that I saw in my spiritual eye, all of these black male entertainers who had been murdered. Michael Jackson showed up, Prince showed up, Tupac showed up, Nipsey Hussle, Sam Cooke. So many of them started filling in the pews. So I'm having this experience and nobody's in there. And then when the other actors finally start coming in, I'm sitting in the front row and there's some Uh, the background actors come in and next to me is one, a female and next to her is a male. As soon as the male sits down, he says, why is Michael Jackson's song in my head? I haven't heard, I haven't thought about Michael Jackson and I haven't listened to his music in almost over a year. And I said, what did you just say? And he says, Michael Jackson's song keeps playing in my head. And I said, what song is it? And he said, it's, I'm bad. And I said, when did it start? He said, as soon as I sat down. So he doesn't know. And I'm like, oh, confirmation. And I say, I know why I'm bad was a song about Michael being bullied. And if you watch the whole little movie thing that he did right before that, he was being bullied by those guys. And he was fighting back. So to me, it was saying he was ready to fight back. They were ready to fight back. And their souls are ready to fight back from these unjust murders. And they, of course, they would show up at Emmett's funeral because what happened to him happened to them in another way, in a systematic way. It was a lynching. And um, that was that's that was so 
when he Wild. said that, I said, oh my God, are you serious? Thank you for confirmation on that. It was just powerful. I couldn't believe it. He's like, soon as I said on this, I said, yeah, that's yeah, where he's they here. are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that is that is incredible. Well, I hate to say it, but I think my my timer is going to quit I in know. a minute. Okay. Well, I cannot, I cannot wait to get, I just can't wait to get together with you. So listen, what, yeah. um, what services do you offer? Like, do you work with people virtually or yeah. tell me I a little do. bit about that and how people can connect yeah. with you? Yeah. So I work on both clinical and non-clinical levels. So if you're trying to get any services like Reiki, massage, not massage, uh, Reiki, uh, meditation, uh, urban Zen integrative therapy, uh, you can go to iman.center, I-M-A-N.center. If you're looking for a reading, uh, you can go to the psychicchic.com the psychicchic.com where psychic is vogue and uh you can get uh any of the readings that i do i do offer um mediumship i do offer energy clearings and things like that just really look i take a look at people through their chakras so those chakras have information on them and it's being able to see that information so energy can be seen and it can be moved and we we do that to help people live their best lives so that's how we do so beautiful so beautiful well this was awesome thank you for coming on and we will have to do this again soon because thanks we're just If you thought today rocked, subscribe to the Meg Rock Show podcast, leave a review, and let me know what your takeaway was. All of my social is linked in the show notes. Screenshot this episode and tag me on Instagram at TheMegRock. For more info on me and to take my quiz to find out what energy blocks you have in your life and in your home, and maybe even coaching, go to ManifestingMarge.com. Repeat after me. I am a powerful, loving, radiant, abundant, badass warrior goddess. I am here to rock out this lifetime. It doesn't serve me or the world to play small. I am worthy of all that I desire. See you in the next episode. The Meg Rock Show podcast and all content created by Manifesting Marge LLC is created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you may have for a medical condition or concern. Meg Schwarzrock is not a doctor or a therapist.